people get very stuck on the idea, idea of weight and weight loss, but it's what's behind that, right? What, what is behind that? And so insulin is this very important hormone. Hello everyone, Dr. Anna Kabeca here on Couch Talk to talk about fasting, why we do it, how it benefits us, and that really everyone can do it, and how it's so important and has been for centuries, millennia, etc. Today, our special guest is Nadia Pataguana, and she is coming to us out of Canada, has worked with a specialist in the fasting field, Dr. Fung, for quite a while. She's a naturopathic doctor. She's had 15 years of clinical experience helping women and men go through an intense dietary management program that is really based on the concepts and benefits of fasting. So I'm thrilled to have Dr. Nadia Padaguana here with us today. She has been um, coaching people with metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, PCOS, and people who are trying to conceive. So Nadia, great to have you here today. Thank you, uh, Dr. Kobeka. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Well, tell us how you, um, you know, how you got started in this area, in this field personally. I'm from Mozambique. So I actually lived in Mozambique for 10 years and I practiced as a naturopath, but my focus was nutrition. So right from the get go, as a pretty young uh, naturopath, I started seeing people with metabolic syndrome. So I sort of had to figure this business out, which I didn't actually uh, know very well. So I had to kind of try to decode it as I went along. And I've always say this, that my Mozambican patients are the most uh, loving and forgiving people. They were wonderful guinea pigs. And so, um, and I had a surplus of them because I was the only person doing this in that part of the world at that time. And so that's how I kind of figured, started to figure things out. Uh, not very well, I have to say, because then I developed metabolic syndrome myself. So that was about eight years ago. Wow. Um, and because of my own struggles with PCOS and, and, uh, infertility, um, I really started to question a lot of things and I learned a lot of things along the way. So that's when I started getting into more of the strict low carb, high fat diets and fasting came a long, long, long time after that. So then I came back to Canada about five years ago. Um, had a couple of children successfully. Thankfully, I was able to conceive. Um, and then I met Dr. Fung and Megan uh, and started working with them. And I've learned uh, so much from working with these two people um, and brought fasting into my personal life and my, and my practice. And it's made a world of a difference because it basically the two things are trying to ach achieve the same purpose fasting and a low carb, high fat uh, diet, We're trying to help people uh, manage their insulin status. And so let's talk about that a second, because we hear a lot about insulin and our listeners may be thinking too, you know, what is insulin? What does it do? And, you know, why is it so important we manage insulin? And currently the epidemic of insulin resistance within our country, the US and Canada, right? And how big of a problem this is for us. And it's a key component of metabolic syndrome of PCOS as well. Right. So we actually consider PCOS to be part of the metabolic syndrome umbrella, uh, just like diabetes, just like um, cardiovascular disease, just like cancer, Alzheimer's, uh, infl inflammatory disease. There's so many things that we now can sort of make a connection. And that connection is made through insulin, hyperinsulinemia, which leads to insulin resistance, or it's one and the same, as Dr. Fung would say. So I, 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 I hope to do it justice 
But I would have to say that, you know, as a resource for people interested in this, The Obesity Code, which was Dr. Fung's first book, um, that's where he really decodes the insulin theory. Because up until now, we've all been so stuck on the calorie in, calorie out theory, which has not worked well for anyone, really, that I know of. I don't know if you do, so true, Dr. Quebecca. Right. But, but I, I mean, we were so stuck on that. And we kept trying to eat less and move more uh, for the last you know, decades and people are just getting sicker and sicker and, and excuse the word, but fatter and fatter and more and more diabetic and, and, and Alzheimer's just, you dementia. know, and that's kind of how everything, right. And that's kind of how I got, I always say, this is how I got myself in trouble to begin with because I was a thin person, uh, very thin, actually borderline underweight, not because I wanted to, but just the way that I was. And I never had a full meal my entire life. I had, I, I lived on quote unquote healthy snacks and, you know, fast forward, as I say, 30 years later, and I had metabolic syndrome because my, I was uh, insulin resistant. I, I, I had hyperinsulinemia. And then of course I had lots of trouble conceiving and all of that stuff, hypertension. I mean, I had lots and I wasn't even obese. So people get very stuck on the idea, idea of weight and weight loss, but it's what's behind that, right? What, what is behind that? And so insulin is this very important hormone that we only ever hear about when people are diabetic, but how about everything else or the whole process to become diabetic? How about fatty liver? You know, that's an insulin resistant condition. Um, PCOS, as I said, which is what I had, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, at least 70% of women we think with PCOS are insulin resistant. And those that aren't will develop it if the, if the syndrome can, uh, progresses uh, or as the syndrome progresses. So what is insulin? It's a, it's a big, big thing. But just to summarize it, insulin is a hormone that we produce in response to food, to eating. So the more often you eat, the more insulin you're going to produce. As simple as that. So if people are still stuck on this idea of eat small meals many times a day, please keep in mind that you're going to produce more insulin that way. And if you think insulin is a good hormone, of course, everything is good and bad, right? So anything in excess is bad. So you don't want to have too much insulin. You need insulin, of course. You know, and we know this because we have type 1 diabetic kids who don't produce insulin, and um, they can't thrive. So of course we need insulin because it's a storage hormone basically. When insulin goes up, you store, and when insulin goes down, you burn. Mm -hmm. So if you're, uh, you need to store, right? And this is why children need to thrive, they need to store, so they need insulin. So children without insulin need insulin injections. This is obvious. But as you produce so much insulin throughout time because you eat too often, and this is where fasting comes in, of course, for us with uh, helping people with metabolic syndrome, or you eat the foods that produce the highest amount of insulin, then you're going to eventually uh, develop hyperinsulinemia and uh, metabolic syndrome. So the expression of metabolic syndrome, as, we, as we've said, is different for different people. Some people will express that as I did with PCOS, even though they're thin. And other people will express metabolic syndrome or hyperinsulinemia uh, as diabetes or fatty liver or you know all these other conditions that we've talked briefly about. So it's basically a storage hormone. If it's high, you store. If it's low, you burn. Um, it's also a retention hormone. So if it's high, you retain. So who wants to have lots and lots of retention? Nobody. And if it's low, you release. So it's, you can play with this, so you can see. And ideally, everybody would be on at a very good level, so you'd have enough of 
both worlds, but that's not how most people come to us. They, they already come to us with hyperinsulinemia. So now we have to help reverse this. So let's talk about those levels. What level of insulin fasting, two hours after meals, three hours after meals are you looking at? So insulin is not something that you can test like blood sugar, unfortunately. So I wouldn't be able to tell you that. So blood sugars is something that you could check. You, you could have a machine that you could check and, and have optimal levels. Insulin is not. You can get a fasting insulin uh, level. I'm going to tell you, and this is not uh, scientific, okay, because I don't know that we're at that level. But I'm going to tell you that the parameter on the labs, and I'm going to use the U.S. Uh, range just because I think that that's mostly the people that probably listen to your show. Right. So the, the U.S. range for fasting insulin, uh, they, they state as an fasting, a normal fasting insulin level to be between, I believe, and different labs will have a different range. But let me just, you know, give you a range, 4 to 19 as being the normal insulin. And it's not the same as blood sugar. So I'm talking about insulin, different, right. completely different levels. And this is what I think. I think that all lab parameters are uh, achieved through testing the general adult population. You test the general American adult population, and we now know that 70 to 80% of them have metabolic syndrome. So that range, I actually, and it says normal on the labs, I actually believe that to be a pure indication that this person is already, does already have a, a certain level of metabolic syndrome. I would agree. I think what I looked for in my office and my clinic with my patients is fasting insulin below 10. I mean, really, go. when it gets around 10, I'm nervous and we're going to start. We're going to look at the hemoglobin A1C and work to improve it, get that fasting level down. And one thing I did in my practices, especially working with gestational diabetics, postpartum, et cetera, is look at glucose to insulin levels. So you're, you, we don't have a home glucose test, you're absolutely right, but the lab can draw your insulin levels. That's right. And so with a two hour you know, uh, fasting glucose tolerance test or glucose to oral glucose tolerance test, you can look at zero, one, two, three hours and what is your glucose to insulin. And it's easy to do. The problem with our current testing is we typically look at glucose, right? And right. a two-hour glucose can be back down to 80 and be considered normal, but their insulin's right. still up at 50. And That's it needs right. to be also back down to 80% of where it was fasting. So or you know, or thereabouts. And um, and so at least um, less than twice its fasting level. So you really want to look at two hour, three hour, how long does it take to get down to baseline? And this is where snacking is so detrimental because you can see if their insulin still up at two hours, three hours, even if their glucose is down, they are hyperinsulinemic because their body's not, it's not resetting back to zero. And that's what I love about your program is you work with getting that, recreating this insulin sensitivities, like clearing that from your system with that clearing leptin resistance, right? So leptin is the hormone of satiety, satiety, maybe is the word. And yes. so where you feel satisfied, right? So we talk that about- so um, true. So that's so important because you're hungry all the time. And, and I would like you to address, because we're going to go into fasting for our audience. We're going to talk about fasting, how to accomplish it, so and why it's so beneficial. But I know there are some of you that become hope, hypoglycemic when you- are close to missing a meal. So Nadia, I would love for you to address that and how you deal with this issue and also to allay fears of fasting and how we can really conquer the problem here with the hypoglycemic kind of reaction that people are getting. 
Absolutely. And I think that you, Dr. Kabeka, you actually said something that's really important for people to realize. So keeping in mind uh, the little bit that I've told you about insulin and how it's a storage and a, um, a retention hormone, um, when you're in storage mode, meaning when your insulin is a bit higher, you feel like eating, right? And when your insulin is a bit lower, you don't feel like eating because you have your body just burns your own fat and you're in burning state, and so you have all this energy. Most of us uh, that follow the standard uh, American diet, and, and I, I love how it's called standard American diet because I'm from Mozambique, which is in the Southern Hemisphere uh, in Africa, and I got to tell you that they follow a standard American diet too, so there you go. <laughs> I wish you. we would call it standard world diet. So um, Unhealthy diet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then most of us, as you correctly stated, you eat – your sugar goes up and then your insulin responds to that sugar. So carbohydrates, especially refined carbs, are the, the nutrient that is going to provoke the highest uh, insulin response. Protein provokes a moderate insulin response and fat provokes an ins insignificant insulin response. Okay. So when we eat, and most of us eat carbs, high carbs, um, healthy carbs as they want to call them. <laughs> but anyway, you produce an insulin response. And then as you correctly stated, insulin, insulin's job is to actually lower your blood sugar, to take it out of the blood as quickly as possible. Where it puts it, it doesn't matter, right? People don't seem to care. It takes it out of your blood and puts it somewhere. But as long as it's out of your blood, people seem to be uh, comfortable. What happens is, as you said, insulin is still a bit high. It's already taken out of your blood. So if you're insulin resistant, you're actually going to have a higher insulin response because your body's going to produce more insulin in response to the same foods. So it's going to go a little higher. That might actually cause a reactive hypoglycemia, which is what happened with me. So your insulin actually goes down your sugar, sorry, uh, your blood sugar actually goes down a little lower than it should. And then you feel all shaky. And then even though your insulin is still high, you need to eat again. And so this is going to cause an even higher insulin. And so you get into this vicious circle of eating all the time. And of course, when your insulin is high, you don't crave protein and fat, you crave sugar mm -hmm. because you've, you've just gone uh, a little low in your sugar. It's not because you need sugar. It's because it, too much insulin has taken too much sugar out of your bloodstream and put it into your organs and your fat cells, which you definitely don't want. But that's, this is the vicious cycle that we're in. So how do we get people out of this cycle? Are cravings your downfall? This is truly typical of anyone trying to lose weight. Let me tell you, willpower is physiologic. Just like Francis discovered, the Keto Green Shake Mix is a tasty and nutritious way to replace a meal while helping you feel full longer and giving you the nourishment, vitamins, minerals, protein, fat that your body needs. So cut your cravings, boost your energy, and improve your overall fitness with the Keto Green Shake Mix. Find Keto Green Shake at dranna.com and use the code SHOW10 to get 10% off your first order risk-free. Yeah, let's go into it. <laughs> <laughs> so the only way I know how is to uh, change your, your dietary intake. So then uh, I follow a ketogenic diet, which is a strict, low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat diet. I didn't want to follow a ketogenic diet, I have to tell you, and I've tried everything you can possibly think of. Um, I did it to get pregnant, um, and I worked, and then I thought, I don't need this. 
I don't want to do this. And then I got my insulin status even higher after pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more severe metabolic syndrome, a lot harder to get pregnant the second time. And then after that, I finally said, okay, I do need it. Uh, that's where I need to be. I've tried a lot of moderate and liberal low-carb diets. It didn't work for me because of that insulin cycle. It just make, made me hungrier all the time. And so I, need to, I needed to get myself into a state where my insulin level was at a point, my blood sugars were stable, and I was getting um, constant uh, levels of energy because the up and down is really what killed me and caused me to just graze my entire life. Mm-hmm. So um, that is one method. You change your diet. You change the nutrients that I, like I said, that create an insulin response. So I did it initially. I didn't know Dr. Fung and Megan then. I did it through uh, a diet. Um, much lower carbs, moderate amounts of protein, and very, very high fat. This kept me satiated, as you said. It worked on my leptin resistance. Um, I ate less times a day because I wasn't hungry. So I had about two meals a day, two large meals a day. Didn't change my caloric intake in a negative way. And I do measure it not because I care about calories, but because I like to track things so that I can inform people. Mm -hmm. Um, I have more information. So... Uh, I actually went up in calories quite a bit from switching to a ketogenic diet uh, just because a f- a fat, fat is, calories. It has more calories than, than carbs, more than double than carbs and protein. All right. Mm-hmm. So that is the, the, the premise behind a ketogenic diet. It's, it's really follows the, the insulin theory that Dr. Dr. Fung talks about in the obesity code. Um, so that's how I did it initially. Then I met Megan and Dr. Fung and realized that you could fast and oh boy, was that ever useful uh, for me and my husband, uh, more my husband than me, because at that point I'd gotten myself to a very, I didn't have much weight to lose. I had about 20 or 30 pounds to lose uh, because I did, my metabolic syndrome unfortunately didn't start with weight, but then the weight started to come on because insulin is a storage hormone. And the higher your insulin, if you're snacking and eating when your insulin is already higher, you're going to store even more. So eventually the pounds started to 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 pile up, unfortunately. And so, you know, with a keto diet, I got myself, my insulin status was at two. Okay. And that's where it is now. It's, it's on the scale. It says below normal, Mm -hmm. but that's where my insulin needs to be. If it's higher than that, I develop hypertension. Uh, If it's higher than that, my PCOS uh, goes crazy and crazy PCOS for me means a lot of unpleasant symptoms. I get a lot of acne, um, especially in this side of my face, a lot of hirsutism, which is hair growth, um, dark spots. You know, it comes with a lot of unpleasant physical symptoms. Um, and a lot of, you know, I stop ovulating, I stop menstruating who wants to do that. Right. I mean, that's just chaotic. And so that's what I did. Then I met these guys and it's like, well, you can fast. And that's very interesting. And I got to, um, shadow them in clinic and watch their, how they treated patients and how they properly monitored people through intermittent fasts, as well as some extended fasting. Dr. Fung wrote a blog about this, about how we don't necessarily put everybody through an extended fast. It's something that we do with proper supervision. Although some people can fast uh, very easily on their own. And as long as they know, uh, like you correctly stated, we recommend a water fast. So we don't recommend dry fasting ever under any circumstance. Um, and we do talk also about electrolytes. So the proper electrolyte, because, because insulin is a retention hormone, when you fast and your insulin drops, your body will let go of a lot of liquid. 
right? A lot of unwanted liquid. But with that, you will lose some electrolytes. And so then you could potentially dehydrate. So we never recommend that people fast without knowing their sort of electrolyte balance and knowing what electrolytes they need. And normally we're talking about sodium and magnesium. And you're talking about extended fasting, not intermittent fasting. Even with intermittent fasting, we talk about electrolytes. I dehydrate very easily. I get, uh, I get very nauseous and even headaches if I don't take electrolytes right from the get-go when I start a short fast. Um, so we always do this individually. It's, there, we don't have a, a strict electrolyte recommendation for people, especially because you really need to know people's electrolyte status and kidney function. Mm -hmm. So it's a, lot of, uh, it's a little bit of work here to get the, the proper balance. But once you do get the balance, it's a bit trial and error. It's always, and so the, the good thing about things like magnesium and sodium is that when you take a little too much, as long as your kidney status mostly is functional, uh, if you take a little too much, your body gets rid of it. So if I overdo it in my salt or magnesium, I get loose stools and I know it right away because I do tend to uh, rather go a little over than a little under because I don't feel well if I go a little under. Um, and so this is important. Uh, electrolyte status and and hydration. So do you measure red blood cell magnesium and then determine from there? Uh, I don't know if it's red blood cell magnesium, whatever the magnesium is on the labs. Okay. Um, but no, usually no. Usually if kidney function is, is, is proper, then okay. we just give a sort of um, optimal dose and people play with that. Because again, I cannot take magnesium on my eating days, for example, because I will get loose tools, any amount of magnesium. I have plenty. I don't need any more. But if I fast and I don't take any magnesium, I'll get muscle cramps. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so I then I play with my dose. So I, my dose is different than my husband's dose. He takes magnesium on a daily basis. I can't. Whereas I take a lot more salt than he does on my fasting days because I, I feel like I need it. He takes hardly any. I wish he took a little bit more, but he doesn't feel like he needs it. And so it's hard to get it into him. Mm. Yeah. So so from a fasting perspective, you know, we're talking about as simple as having main meals and not snacks, you know, that's, that's fasting in between meals or uh, longer intermittent fast, like an, an 18, six schedule is a very common schedule at 16, eight, where people fast for 16 or 18 hours and then eat within a six to eight hour window. That's a very common uh, sort of fast, a very safe fast. I mean, I, I wouldn't talk about hydration or salt or minerals for most of those people, right? That's pretty safe. Right. Some people do a 24-hour fast, uh, what's called OMAD, one meal a day, uh, or, or some people call it the warrior diet where they eat um, uh, within a four-hour period and fast for 20 hours. That's usually pretty easy for most people to do. And I think it's because um, your body burns through your glycogen stores in about 20 hours. So it's when those, that, that easily accessible fuel is gone, people start to feel hungry. It's not our preferred method. And I think Dr. Fung and Megan have talked quite a bit about this in our podcasts and, and all that. You don't want to slow down people's metabolism by only eating one meal a day. You don't want a low, uh, low calorie diet uh, on mm. an ongoing basis. Some people do feel very well on a one meal a day approach. And if they get to that point and they have reached their goal, I'm not against it. Uh, it might even have some merit. But if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to speed up your metabolism, if you're trying to reverse uh, metabolic syndrome, I, I don't think that that would be my preferred method. 
Thank you for watching this video. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel here and get those notifications and comment below. Let me know your thoughts, what you loved and what your action step is.